Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. here. I am glad to be before you this morning. Um, um, Pastor Spence um, has graciously allowed me to preach um, again, and so I'm just glad to to be here. Um, But before I dive in and give us God's Word today, I just want to say a word of a prayer. And so will you join me uh, right now as we pray? Uh, Father God, Lord, this passage that you have written down and that you have sovereignty allowed for me to preach, Father. Lord, I ask that you would use it. Lord, I ask that you would tear down the barriers that are in my heart, the barriers that that are listening in in their hearts. And 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 Lord, I ask that we would see Jesus, that we would see his majesty, his glory, his wonder, his worth. So Father, help us today. Father, help me not to be impressive. Help me to be effective, helping your people, helping my heart to hold on and cherish this beautiful gift, the gospel you've given to us. So we love you in Christ's mighty, holy holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, it's good to see everyone this morning. We're glad you're back with us. And so today I'm going to be preaching inside um, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 18 through 4, 1. And so I'm going to read it um, because I don't want this passage to to shock us. And so I'm going to read it inside its entirety. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Fun, right? (laughs) Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't be discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. Now for people knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid for whatever he has done wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Y'all, me me and Pastor Spence went, went round and round, and I was like, dude, uh, why, why do you do this to me? <laughs> but, but, but today we're going to deal with this passage, and my hope is that you will see God's goodness. And so I want to start uh, with a story. And so I have a friend um, named, named Jordan, and Jordan um, was the associate uh, director to the Chancellor of Texas Tech. And so Jordan uh, was his big personality, and everyone that he met, he befriended. In fact, he, he befriended a, a 
now a friend of both of ours, and he was the offensive coordinator for uh, Texas Tech. And so as I would see them on campus, because I, I was a college pastor, I would see them on campus sitting and talking, and, and they were like good work buddies. But then they went from work buddies to, to real friends, to where they were inviting each other inside their homes and spending a lot of time together. And as they were, were doing that, one day, Jordan, um, Sonny, Sonny, our friend, looked at Jordan and said, hey, man, I want to follow Jesus. And Jordan has never presented the gospel to him before. And so he was a bit taken back by it. And he was like, man, why do you want to follow Jesus? He says, man, like you talk about Jesus all the time. Um, but the way that, that you, yet you do your work at Texas Tech, the way that you love your, your wife unconditionally, and I saw the redemption inside your, um, your not his wife, not Tamara, but his wife is, is Brittany. The way that you love Brittany, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus. Y'all, the story of my, of my friend Jordan is a story of uh, what, when the gospel intersects both your home and your workplace. And this is the call for the Christian, is that in whatever that we do, which is the theme of this passage, whatever that we do, we should allow the gospel to, to permeate every area of our lives. You see, last week, Pastor Spence gave us a beautiful message t telling us how that we are new in Christ. And so today, I'm going to talk primarily about how the gospel affects our homes and our workplaces. You know, most often, many of us, we, we talk about our works and we talk about our homes, but rarely do we talk about Christ in our works in our homes. We don't see those things as an intersection. So as we live our lives, we define ourselves by what we do rather than who we are. And so what we learned last week, um, Pastor Spence showed us by, by the way of the Apostle Paul, showing us who we are. So what if we lived our lives rather by who we are rather than what we do? How would that change our response? How would that change your response to how you look at your home and how you look at your work? What if we live our lives thinking about how Christ affects every area of our lives? How would that change the way that you live? Would you treat the cashier at McDonald's differently? Will you drive on, on the road differently? Will you treat your wife, your husband, your spouse, your friend differently? This is what my, Jordan, my friend Jordan did. He, he lived out the gospel and it affected everything in his life. And so we're going to see today inside the book of Colossians, we're going to see people with all different statuses. And, and Paul is, is trying to tell them that it doesn't matter what your status is inside society. God wants to make his name known into every nook and cranny of your life. But our, our problem my, my problem is that often we minimize God as a Sunday-only God. And when you minimize that, you minimize his power in your life, and you minimize um, his mission to the world. Y'all, we have to see the whole gospel that affects our whole lives. God is concerned about expressing his kingdom that is in heaven um, upon this earth. You, you see, the kingdom of God, as we see as a definition, is a spiritual realm over which God reigns as king to fulfill his will upon the earth that manifests itself in his righteousness and in his justice. 
Therefore, as God's people, we are kingdom people who, under the rule of God, live our lives in submission to his lordship. So instead of following our way and doing things how we think, a kingdom people, we seek to know God's will and carry out God's kingdom agenda upon the earth. This is the calling that God gave to us from the very beginning of creation. And this is what the Apostle Paul is pulling from and alluding to inside the text. Inside creation, if you look at it in Genesis 1, God created marriage and he created work before there was the fall of humanity. And when he looked at both of those things, he said it was very good, meaning that God delighted in what he created. He delighted in it. But we see when humanity sinned, we brought about chaos, chaos in our relationships with one another, chaos in our work, and more importantly, separation and chaos between us and God. Sin brought about, about a curse, which the curse was death upon us. But watch this. God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to defeat sin and death, and he brought about life life for us. He reversed the curse and brought back chaos back into order. So we see here in this text is that Paul is looking at this culture and he is trying to bring, bring uh, order into this chaos because of what the gospel done in him and what he's trying to show what it can do in them. He's trying to bring about flourishing in the home and in the work. And so he rejects cultural expectations of, of how they should live, and he tells them to live by kingdom principles. That's the challenge for them, and that's the challenge for us, which leads me to my big idea for today, which is a kingdom people sees everything as service to the Lord. This is the only big idea of today. It's a, it's a big idea of the text. Paul, in, in chapters uh, 3, 17, it says, whatever you do, do to the glory of the Lord. So we're going to see this time and time again, as to the Lord, for the Lord, whatever that you do. So following the flow of this text, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see how a kingdom people sees their marriage as ministry. And then secondly, we're going to see how a kingdom people sees their parenting as discipleship. Then lastly, we're going to see how a kingdom people see their work as worship. But, but before we move on, I want to address two groups. First uh, is singles. Um, if you're single inside the room or inside your living room, um, I just want to speak to you. Though this passage isn't addressing um, your single state, but it does have a word for you because it says whatever that you do, but also you're, you're a worker or you're a business owner. And so do not check out. But then secondly, for those who don't know who Jesus is, I ask that this woos you into the heart of God, that you, you see that, yes, us Christians, we are hypocrites, but, but we are trying to bear forth the kingdom of God and all that we do. There is no sacred or secular divide in the Christian life. There is God and there is holiness, and we're ushering his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, so let's look at verse 19, 18 and 19 to see how a kingdom people sees their ministry as marriage. It says, wives, submit yourself to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husband, love your wives and don't be bitter with them. So we see this word submission. And when we hear it, we automatically think of it as oppressive and irrelevant, right? 
So we have all, all of these movements inside our country right now because they we're trying to reject the, the Bible. But many people, including us, we have missed the context of this word. Paul was not trying to be demeaning in, in this, in this, uh, with this word. He was actually being redemptive. Why? He was showing the, the, the women that they had authority that they did not have b- before. Why? Because in the household system back in that time, women was, were basically viewed as property and not a person. And so to tell a woman to submit is implying that they have authority. It is implying their personhood. This, this pursuit of, permission, of, of submission that Paul is giving the wife, he's telling her to place herself up under the leadership as a co-equal with her husband. But we have to be careful with this text. Paul is not telling us in this text to imitate their culture. So he's not telling husbands to be, to be, be brood and, and to be disruptive, but he is showing us what happens when the gospel permeates the culture. So submission in our, our day is a little bit different, but submission is embracing the leadership of, of God has given to the husband. It is, an, it is an invitation for the wife to allow the husband to lead. The way that the, Kathy Keller says it, she says, submission means that in the matters of disagreement, I yield to my, my husband's deciding decision. She says, I get a vote, he gets a vote, but he gets the deciding vote. Spiritual leadership for the husband means that he has the burden of responsibility, means that he's going to answer to God on the behalf of his family. A a well-known pastor who who helped plant this church says this about, about spiritual leadership for the husband. He says, spiritual leadership is not a license for men to do what they what they want. It is empowerment to do what they ought. Men, you are called to lead your family with love. So what this means for for, for the wives. Wives, this does does not mean that you only follow your husband when you agree with him or you you feel he's making the right decision. That is not submission. That's, That's agreement. Women, ladies, Paul is telling you that you have a voice Your voice matters. Your influence of your husband is the most influential voice in any person inside his life. So use it to the glory of God. So therefore, when a wife submits to a a husband, she is tapping into the supernatural power of the gospel. She is grabbing the the authority that, that she has in the gospel and demonstrating its beauty to her husband. Wives. It's telling you to do that, but Paul gives a caveat. He says, your submission to your husband is conditioned by as fitting to the Lord. Therefore, what this means is that when your husband is causing you to, to sin, you do not follow that, but rather you speak the gospel to him and help him to see that, um, where, where he's at. Because again, submission is not blind obedience. It is submitting to King Jesus and to his rule and helping your family and your husband to cherish the gospel. But then Paul tells the husbands to love their wives and don't be bitter with them. 
this statement was too countercultural. Because the, Rome, the Roman and Jewish men, that they would lead their wives forcefully. But here, Paul is calling the men into agape love, which means to, to, to love unconditionally, un- unconditionally and sacrificially. He calls them into the type of love of Christ who humbled himself to a shameful death on the cross for the sake of humanity to be reconciled back to God. Y'all, for the husband and the wife, this is ministry. This is ministry. It is bearing the gospel to your wife and to your husband. That is ministry. You see, when, we, when the kingdom people sees that their marriage is a ministry, then their marriage becomes a ministry to others. That is what happened with, with my, my friend Jordan. He saw that his marriage wasn't ministry, so then his, his marriage became a ministry. Because, as we saw inside Paul's day, a husband who was once ruling his family with a strong hand is now serving. He is asking his wife, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I tend to your needs? He is cultivating her soul in Christ. Y'all, that is countercultural. So husbands, did you know that the best way that you can honor God is by leading your wife with service? So often us as men, and I'm, I'm included, we pursue our wife in dating and then we stop doing that in marriage. And I think we pursue our wives with passion, but we forget that marriage has a passion and it has a purpose, which is to glorify God. And so if that's a case, if that's the case, if a kingdom marriage not only shares in passion for each other, but, but they have a purpose, that means that your purpose is to demonstrate the gospel together as a couple, as one body, to make Jesus known in your home and into the entire world. So my question for you married folks, do you have a purpose for your marriage that, that involves Jesus? Not talking about your 401k. I'm talking about the kingdom initiatives? Do you have a purpose for your marriage? For those that are engaged, have you talked about how you plan to see your marriage as a ministry? Because again, if it's only filled with passion and not with with purpose, you will get crushed by, by the realities of marriage. Because marriage is not meant to fulfill all of your needs. Jesus is. See, marriage is meant to teach you that you need Jesus. You can't love your spouse in your own power. So in in his grace, God aims to expose you and free you from the bondage of yourself. And in his grace, it is meant to bring you to the end of yourself. So he places you in a comprehensive relationship with another flawed person, and he puts that relationship right in the middle of a very broken world. To add to this, He designed circumstances inside your marriage that you would never plan for. All this is meant to bring you to an end to yourself because whenever that happens, that is when true righteousness begins. He wants you to face the the futility of trying to try to manipulate the other person into service. He knows that there's no life found in these things. So marriage is a ministry because there are going to be troubles and the difficulties that you face in marriage is not evidence of the failure of grace. No, no, church. These troubles are grace. 
They are tools used to pry you out of the prison of self so so you can be free to enjoy the glories of the kingdom of God. Marriage is not not an end to itself. No, the, the reality is that marriage is designed to be a means to an end. That is when we can finally enjoy and taste the goodness of God and the the goodness of what marriage is meant to be. And when we do that, and when we live our marriage as a ministry, others will know about the goodness of our God. Kingdom people see their marriage as ministry. But church, we got to keep moving. Not only do they see their marriage as ministry, they they see their parenting as discipleship. Let's let's read verses 20 and 21. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. So in verse 20, it's pretty clear. Paul is telling children to obey their parents. And so with this obedience, he is giving children authority to, 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 to listen to the words of Christ. And so, so kids, when, when your parents gives, give you a directive, you should always consider Jesus. Because when you look, when you obey your parents, you are actually obeying King Jesus. Jesus, who obeyed all the commands of God, who lived a perfect life, and, and he died for your sins. So therefore, whenever your parents tell you what to do, you can do it in humble submission to, to the king of all kings. So children... When you obey, you are loving King Jesus. This is not blind obedience, kids. This is thoughtful and intentional. At times, for, for, the, for, the, for the teenagers and preteens um, and sitting inside your living room, your, your parents might be wrong. But the correct posture for you is for you to consider Jesus and what he has done for you, and which will help you learn how to obey your parents. But then Paul transitions to fathers. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. So both in the Jewish and and Gentiles world, the fathers held a life and death of power over their children. And so this verse is a command to fathers not to misuse their legitimate authority over them. And when that happens, children's children become exasperated or another word to say is discouraged. Often as parents, we think that we are doing fine with our children because we are providing for them and we are protecting them. But as we are doing that, most of the time, we are yelling and fussing at our kids. Instead of building them up, we are tearing them down. Although this text is addressed to fathers, I want to broadly speak to all parents because I know that there's there's those in the room where you're a single mother or you're a single father or you're in a different uh, situation. So I want to talk to anyone who has an authority over a child. Parents, God has charged you to help your children um, to develop and maintain a healthy view of themselves. If not, if you don't do that, you will lead them into discouragement, which implies losing heart, being uninspired, spiritless, disinterested, moody, and just an all-out resignation towards life. But the positive version of this command is for parents to, to parent in a way that leads your child to be hopeful, happy, confident, and courageous kids in Christ. You see, a kingdom people sees their parenting as discipleship. Parents, your job is to, to, to disciple your children because in discipleship, there is discipline. But if you do it the right way, you can give your child hope instead of discouragement. 
But you got to be, be careful, parents. You got to teach your child to hope in God, not in money, popularity, education, marriage, or professional success. One pastor said it this way. If I would ask Paul or Jesus, what kind of freedom from discouragement do you want the children to have? He would not have said, I want your children to be free from discouragement or being filled from hope that, that they will become wealthy or well-known or intellectual or married or successful. Paul is saying, be the kind of parents who do not discourage your children, but rather fill them with hope in God. Y'all, we can be those type of parents. But now I just want to focus particularly on fathers because that's what the text does. Fathers, you have the authority over your children. And who you are matters way more important than any any particular parenting technique that you will try to employ. Your goal, your goal as a father is to lead your child into the worship of God in all things. John Piper gives us some, as fathers, some helpful questions to ponder upon as we think about our fathering to our kids. He says, how can I be like my own heavenly father? He says, how can I banish my my self-reliance from the heart of my children and fill them with confidence and courage and zeal and boldness that are rooted in the grace and power of God and out in themselves? How can I be the kind of father whose children do not lose heart or become spiritless or listless or solemn, or discouraged, but filled with hope in God, and happiness in God, and confidence in God, and courage to attempt great things for the glory of God. Therefore, dads, my charge for you is that you need to study your children and your family more than you study your hobbies. It'll be best for you to think about how you plan to lead and to discipline your children. If not, you will have some, some erratic and unpredictable um, parenting approach. And the effects of, of unpredictable parenting approach leads your child asking, what's the point of obeying? They won't have a standard of good and bad because you have not established a standard for them. But fathers, your children, your children will gain a perspective about God into how that you lead them. I want that to be heavy upon you. In, in, in your home, if, if, if uh, in your home you need appropriate discipline, you need clear and just rules, your children need, need space to fail and to be loved, your children need the freedom to, um, to flourish, and you can give that to them. But here's the caveat. Fathers, you need to submit to the almighty authority of God to love your children in this way. And I, I know we have men in this church. I, I know that, that, that we have men in this church that can, that can lead like this. I, I know some great older men who have already done this and continue to keep doing this. Fathers, you can lead your child to love Jesus. Let that soak in. Mercy fathers, you are in charge of your household and you can lead your kids to the almost worship of God Almighty. Now we have seen how the kingdom affects not only our, our, our homes, but, but I want to take a sharp transition to talking about how the kingdom affects our, wor- our workplace. Kingdom people see their work as worship. Let's, le- let's read verses 3, 22 through 24. It says, Slaves, obey your masters in everything. Don't only work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. So, y'all, we need to note here, for the most part, that Paul and the early church saw the institution of slavery as an exonerable evil. First century Christians, we need to pay attention here, were not social um, revolutionaries. We see this inside the book of Philemon. That, that was not them. Paul's purpose to write to the slaves and masters was for them to live in a broader social context, social context as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. But in our day, we live inside a democracy who teaches us to subvert the systems that we have because we have freedom and ability and vote to do such thing. And we have slave systems in our society right now. Mass incarceration, sex trafficking. And neither of those, neither of those have no place in the kingdom of God. The scripture condemns that. But we have to go back to the passage to understand their context of, of slavery. So, so there's five things I need us to understand about their understanding of what Paul was trying to get at here. One, he, he said that, that slaves are, um, were considered part of the household. So we had to deal with it. Secondly, slavery was not race-based back then. So it wasn't based on someone's, someone's ethnicity or their color. Thirdly, it was not automatically economically oppressive. It was more like indentured servitude. Unlike the situations in our 19th century in the American South slavery, right? Fourth, it was not lifelong. The average slave worked for about 10 to 15 years. Um, therefore, they could buy their freedom after that time. And then lastly, the Bible does not condone slavery. And so therefore, since it doesn't con condone it, it has a different definition than what we have for it today. So again, the best way to understand this is through the means of work. And so if their version um, of work was indentured servanthood, it, our version is our jobs. And so, so what Paul is trying to get at here, he says, in whatever you, you do, kingdom people see their work as worship. To give it a, a working idea, we were made for worship, as we've been talking about all along. But the question remains, as it relates to our work, are we going to worship God or are we going to worship ourselves? Paul here uses this lordship language because he's trying to help them to see that Jesus is Lord despite their social position. Um, he says to obey your boss is an otherworldly commitment and to do it with glee. But he also says to love your workers requires one to understand the, the authority of God's economy. You see, when we see our work as worship, we can do it wholeheartedly to the Lord. So as Christians, we don't slack off at our work. We don't cut corners. Why? Because we are concerned with the glory of God. Every aspect um, of our lives to be lived before the face of God, and it is an act of worship. So, so therefore, what does it mean to, to declare him as Lord in our jobs? Well, I got some more diagnostic questions. So if I were to go and ask your, your supervisor or boss about you, what would I hear? If I were to ask your employees and clients 
about you, what would they say? If I were to say that you were a Christian, would they be, be surprised by that? If I was to ask the people from your work with how, if, if they knew Jesus more because of you, what would they say? If I were to ask them your attitude towards work, what would I hear? This quest, these questions are not meant to condone you here. Um, but what, what, the, what it's doing is that since we are new creations in Christ, we have to approach work differently. That's what Paul was telling them. He said, slaves, you have to approach this thing differently. And so in our culture, we only see work as just an opportunity for evangelism. But it is more than that. It's an opportunity for worship. It, 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 is, a, it is a means to see Jesus in, in all that we do. So, so sending that email is worship. Um, opening that door for a coworker is worship. Um, not cutting corners is worship because you're worshiping God and not man. That's what Paul is saying. We do it as, as not um, people watching us, not as people pleasers, but unto the Lord. So whether we like our jobs or, or not, y'all, whether we like it or not, we are to worship God with our work. Y'all, God is always good, but our work is not always going to be that way. That is why Paul is saying over and over, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So as I say this, I know that many of us in this room right now, we currently hate our jobs, Right? And, and due to uh, COVID and the financial crisis, many of us are staying in jobs that we would normally uh, leave. But here's my challenge for you. You need to listen in here. You have to fight to find fulfillment in Jesus over your work. If you are not careful, you can end up worshiping your job instead of him. But then there's some of us in the room who love our jobs. But we too need to remember that our work is a means to worship God and not ourselves. So we all need to be diligent in seeking fulfillment in, in God rather than in our work. Because if we don't, that the moment that it fails us, we are going to get crushed. I've been there. So most of you guys know um, I'm from, from the great state. Um, and and, I, and I, I loved my state, but I also loved my, my previous church. And in moving here to North Carolina, Everything was different. There, there were trees. Um, and, um, and, and so, but, but also the church mercy I came to was different. And, and, and I was striving and trying to find my identity in, in, in community that I, lo- that I once lost. I find my identity in my work that was all different. And I was trying to hope that those things would give me only what God could give me. So whether you are in full-time ministry, or you are a full-time mom, your worth does not come in what you do. Your worth comes from Jesus. You see, kingdom people have the authority of Christ, and since we have Christ as Lord, he is giving us the power to worship him as Lord. So that's why Paul says, in whatever you do, do to the glory of Lord. But lastly, he talks to bosses and workers. He says in verse 25, he says, for, for the wrongdoer will be paid for whatever he has done. Um, there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly um, and fairly since you too have a master in heaven. So if we can all be honest, many of us have had bad bosses before, right? And for, for most of us, we can move on because of, the, because of, because of their badness, right? But 
the slaves during that time or the workers during that time, they didn't have have the freedom to, to move on. But my challenge to you is whether you like your job or not, Paul is saying that the wrongdoer will be paid back for what they has done. But he's also not just only talking about your work, but he's also talking about all of life. And so I know in this room, some of us have been both physically, mentally, and emotionally abused. And as your pastor, I'm sorry, and I know some of your stories. But God says those people do not repent, that he will handle them. But my prayer is that they would repent. But for for those who still have those bad bosses, we often want to feel a little bit salty towards them, right? Um, But we need to remember your boss, too, is made in the image of God as you are. They are simple human beings who need the saving grace of the gospel. So instead of responding to your boss in bitterness and resentment, um, you need to activate the authority that you have in, in the gospel and declare that Jesus is Lord. That is how flourishing happens in your heart. Flourishing is, is a mixture of embracing the authority that you have and embracing the, the vulnerability of your weakness. But then lastly, bosses. He says to treat your workers fairly and justly. That means that, that whenever you have to fire some, some, somebody, you do it with justice and fairness, with no partiality. That means as a boss, you treat everyone with the utmost dignity. That means as a boss that you don't cut your, your employees' paycheck. You give them more abundantly because that's what God has done for you. He's calling you as a boss to display his goodness and his glory into everything that you do. Therefore, for everybody, when we submit to the gospel, we get to see our work as worship. So as a a conclusion, the kingdom people who've been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we must see everything as fitting to the Lord. When the Lordship of Christ rule our lives, the gospel becomes good news into everything that we do. Amen. Amen. Amen.